Good morning. How are you today? Yeah. Hey, how many of you, let me ask you a question. This is not part of the sermon, but let me ask you a question. How many of y'all were here on Time Change Sunday? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, keep your hands up because every one of you who was here on Time Change Sunday, you get extra, extra credit today for coming to church through tornadoes. Give it up for the people who were here for both of those. I thought, thought you'd be a little more enthusiastic about that. It's extra credit in heaven. That's a good thing. We've already had an adventurous day in church today. In the first service, our power went out. That was fascinating. It was great. I, I cannot describe to you the job that our team did. Obviously, our praise and, and worship team always does an incredible job for us. But our tech crew is absolutely state-of-the-art killer. Would you please join me in thanking them, even though, even though we're all living here in the second service in the luxury of electricity. Um, they did an incredible job for us in the first service. I want to begin with a word of prayer before we dive into the message and uh, we will get going this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it is good to be in your house. And we are reminded this morning, God, just of your incredible goodness to us. We know that the rains bring life and vitality, and so we're grateful for those things. And Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come into your presence, to gather with your family and, and lift you up. But God, also to have you interject in our lives, to have you intervene and, and do something in each and every one of us so that we're not leaving here the same as when we walked in, but we're allowing and, and inviting you to do something, to lead us somewhere that we haven't been or maybe we haven't been for a while. And so, Father, this morning I ask that you would speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me, God, that you will use this time for your purposes God, for your glory and for our good, we ask this in the name of Jesus who makes it all possible. Amen. You know, everything that God does is tethered to trust. Everything that God does is tethered to trust. Now, with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. If, if I were to sit down over a cup of coffee with you this morning, or maybe an espresso, and ask you to take inventory of your life. What are the things that right now, in this season of life, that worry you? What are the things that you worry about? Maybe the things that you stress over, maybe the things that wake you up in the middle of the night, or that you wake up in the morning and your brain is already grinding on, thinking of solutions and how how you're going to get out of a situation or make a situation better. What are the things that worry you? I think most of us, as a matter of fact, it's an educated guess, I would say that all of us would have no trouble compiling that list, of, of making that list up for our own situations, based on our own experiences and where our lives are at this very moment. I kind of think it's a, it's a part of the human condition to worry. That That's just kind of... Is part of it sometimes. And for the last few weeks as a church, we've been engaged in this series of sermons called Peace Out. And we established the fact, kind of the baseline, that God has offered us the promise of, of a peace that passes perception. Something that we can't even get our minds around. We can't explain it, 
but we can absolutely experience it in a relationship with Jesus. That it's, it's not only spiritual peace, it's not only peace about eternity, but it's, it's peace in the here and now, no matter what the circumstances of our lives might be from any given moment to any given moment. And so as I was praying through and preparing for this sermon, I kind of started thinking about the things that I worry about. And it was funny how the, the thought and maybe even the prayer proceeded because I feel like God kind of led me into a, a different area. And I started to think about the things that I don't worry about. Have you ever thought, have you ever listed what are the things that you don't worry about? And for me, the first thing that I thought about was my bride, Julie. I, I don't worry about Julie. I don't worry about our marriage. Now, I don't take her for granted. Don't misunderstand me. I, I understand that the grass is absolutely always greener where you water it. Somebody help me preach. I'm just saying, you, that's, that's the fact. And by the grace of God and through choices that we've made, God has allowed us to have a marriage that I don't worry about. It's an incredible gift. And that kind of dominoed into the next thought, and I realized that that gift of Julie in our marriage that I don't worry about, that's straight from God. And, and I started thinking about all of the expressions of the goodness of God that I have experienced, that I get to enjoy now and over the course of my life. I've seen such an incredible track record. And I'm like, I never worry about the goodness of God. I never worry about his faithfulness. I worry about whether or not I'm going to put myself in a position to experience it, but I know he's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's always good. I, I don't worry about that. I thought about our kids, Emily and Joseph. I, I don't really worry about them too much. I mean, they're in college, so you've got to worry some, but so far, so good. I, I realize, like, like their father, they could make a dumb decision and dump it all tomorrow, but... I don't really worry about them. I feel like God's got them kind of where he wants them to be at their stage of life. I don't worry about the future of Lake Hills Church. I worry about certain elements, certain things that we need to get better at. I'm a little, you know, on edge and kind of thinking about Easter right now. That's kind of a big deal. It's a Super Bowl. Thinking about the Spur Leadership Conference. I want to see as many people as possible discover the, the principles that will help them in their marketplace experience and their family experiences. But when the church at large is considered, and the future of Lake Hills Church, after 20 years of God's goodness, I don't worry about the future of the church. I don't. And then I thought about something kind of silly. I thought about my truck. I don't worry about starting my truck in the morning. I know when I jump in my truck, it's going to turn over. And that may seem frivolous to you. But let me just tell you, when you have lived like I did in college and beyond, and you get in the car and you just kind of pray that it's going to turn over, I'm telling you, a, a car that starts, no matter what, is a big deal for your pastor here. That's just, that's just me talking. But that, that's based on, on my own experiences. And, and I thought about that list from, you know, Julie and ultimately the Lord, but, but then our kids and, and the church and even, even something as temporal as my pickup truck I thought, man, that, that's a salty list of things that I never have to worry about. I, I, don't, I don't worry about. Those are the things that I do not lose sleep over. And I, and I thought about what if. Right now, I want you to do something. With passion and enthusiasm, turn to your neighbor and ask him, what if? What if? What if I could provide for you a guaranteed 100% lead pipe 
lock cinch that you would never, ever, ever have to worry about for the rest of your life money ever again. How cool? Yeah, some people are already clapping and applauding. I love it. What if you never had to worry about money ever again? Now, I know some of you are already skeptical and thinking I've got a real estate plan to sell you in a booklet, and that's not what this is all about. I'm not telling you that you never have to think about it again. I'm not telling you that you will never have another financial setback or a concern, but I am telling you, based on what God tells us, that you never, ever, ever have to worry about money ever again. I'm just curious. In the last 12 months, how many of us in this room have worried about money? Let me just see a show of hands. You're among family here. Nobody will talk about it outside of this room. Okay, here's the thing. We're in great company. My hand was up also, by the way. That wasn't just as an example. I have worried about money. But did you know that the American Psychological Association has been tracking our stress as it relates to money for years? For years, they do a survey every single year, and their most recent findings are fascinating. 90% of us who live in America, 90% of us have decided that our financial stress has remained the same or gotten worse in the last 12 months. 90%. 90. 72% of us have worried about and stressed over money just in the last 30 days. 72%. I'm not a math guy, but that's almost three quarters of us. 31% of married couples, even those who are happily married, clash over the family finances at least once a month. Mm, I'm just saying, this is an epidemic. And the things that we clash over in marriage financially, we clash over spending on the kids, we clash over big ticket purchases, we clash over our partner's spending patterns, rut row, that's a problem, and we clash over long-term investment planning. I mean, are you kidding me? A third of us live with this and have this worry injected into our lives on a regular basis. Now, those are the numbers, those are the facts. And whatever you believe about God, whatever you, presuppositions you walked in the door with about what you believe about who he is, about what he's like, about what he likes or dislikes, you have to know this. He loves us too much to live like that. He did not create us. The peace that he promises us certainly transcends, but make no mistake about it, it includes financial peace. And by his grace, in his wisdom and power, he has given us both a principle and a practice to participate in that peace. He's, he's given it to us there for the taking. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, the same one that you talked to just a second ago because you don't like the one on your other side, and give your neighbor a high five real quick. Just give him a high five. Now tell him, get you some. Okay, y'all can do so much better than that. I, I know you may not say get you some a lot, but you should, and this is a good place to practice. Tell them again like you mean it, get you some. Because we are all about to get a snootful of some financial peace. Now, I said that there's a principle and a practice. The principle is so simple. 
It is so simple that it is revolutionary. It is the ownership principle. The ownership principle. Psalm chapter 24. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Say everything. Everything Everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means God owns it all. That's it. Everybody, take a look at this shirt that I've got on right here. Everybody grab your shirt, just whatever you're wearing. Maybe a short sleeve up here, but grab your shirt or your, your outerwear, whatever you got, and just hold it up for a second. Just hold on to it. Now, tell your other neighbor who's your second choice, this is God's. Just, just tell them, this is God's. This is God's shirt. Everything in the world, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This shirt is in the world. So this shirt is God. So if God says, Mac, give the shirt off your back, give the shirt off your back. I'm not going to do it right now because it would be a distraction to you in the middle of a worship service. But you, you understand the point. It's all God's. All of my stuff, all of your stuff belongs to God. Now, we don't have to act like it. You don't have to act like it belongs to God. You can actually behave in such a way that denies the reality the reality is it's God's but you don't have to act like it you can actually live like your stuff is your stuff and that is a charade it's just it's a fraud it's just not reality so dude I work hard for my stuff I I, I put every zero in the bank I, I bought every stitch of clothing in my household I bought the house that's awesome Everything in the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. So it's all God's. Julie and I were hanging out with some friends recently, and we were hanging out by the pool with their kids. Their kids are a lot younger than ours. They're all like elementary school and younger. Julie and I kind of look at it as, as grandparent training day. And so we were hanging out by the pool and had been outside for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. And the oldest one of these kids is in elementary school. And I'd kind of been watching, he was shooting baskets in the pool, and he would hit some, and he kind of missed most of them, unless he was close by, and I'd watch him shoot, he's a good athlete. But I thought, I thought I'd raise the stakes a little bit, and I said, hey, come here, come here. I said, if you can make a basket after you jump off the side of the pool, I'll give you 20 bucks. Well, when I said $20, his brother and sister perked up. What? Now, let me just give you some backstory. I had originally thought I was going to give him $5 if he made the shot. But I'd been watching him for a while, and I thought this 20 was safe as a baby in her mother's arms. And so I said, here are the rules. You're going to, you, ha- you can't jump past that mark right there. You have to be behind that mark, and you have to jump before you shoot, and you get one shot. If you make it, I'll give you $20. If you miss it, you owe me $100. I'm just kidding. I didn't tell him that. That wasn't true. But so, man, he got out of the pool and he was serious. He had his game face on. He wiped the water out of his eyes and, and his brother and sister were sitting there. I mean, they were wrapped with attention. They were just, oh my gosh. And he got out of the pool and, and he grabbed the ball and, and I saw him and he kind of like measured where he was going to jump and, and he did it a couple of times. 
or 12, and, and then he back, jumped back, and then he took one dribble for good measure, and then he went, and he just jumped, and he launched, and he shot it, and he absolutely drained it, hitting nothing but the bottom of the net. I mean, swish. We went crazy. His brother said, you did it, you did it, $20, Pastor Mac owes you $20. Here's Pastor Mac walking inside to go get his $20 that he promised to the child, I come back out, we had the trophy presentation, snap the photo, and it was a phenomenal moment. Now, I told you that to tell you this. About two minutes after the trophy presentation of that $20 bill, his little sister came up to me, not even in kindergarten yet. And she goes, Pastor Mac, if I dive in, you give me money. I said, no, that's not how the game works. So the game where if you make a basket as you dive in, then Pastor Mac will give you money. But I'm not going to give you money just because you dive in. I mean, well, you can do that. I've just been watching you. She goes, no, I was jumping. I said, no, no, no. I said, if you make a basket, well, for the next 10 minutes, she would go dive in, get out and say, I dove in, give me money. I said, that's not the game. Boom, I dove in, give me money. I said, that's not the game. Finally, she was completely exasperated. She goes, okay, if I can touch the net then you give me money. I said, that's not the game. My game, my rules. This is the essence of the ownership principle. God's game, God's rules. God's game, God's rules. That's the principle attached to this. Now, there's a massive difference. Well, actually, there are a lot. But in this instance, there was one really big difference between Pastor Mac and God. As I said, there are a lot of differences, unfortunately, but this is one of them I'm going to point out. You see, I didn't change the rules of the game because I have a limited amount of 20s. I didn't want to just hand out $20 bills like Skittles there by the pool. So the rules were the rules. God, on the other hand, has a completely unlimited stack of Skittles and 20s. He is not limited. The earth is the Lord's. God is the only one about whom it can accurately and appropriately be said, money's no object. He owns it all anyway. And if he needs some more, he'll make something else. He's God. We're not. His game, his rules. That's the principle. But the principle only brings the peace if we put it into practice. Practice. Tell your neighbor right now, we're talking about practice, man. Now, if you don't know that quote, look it up on YouTube later on because it's a beautiful one. But the practice, the practice of financial peace, the practice is the tithe. The tithe is the practice of financial peace. Now, if you're not yet a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, the tithe you're exempt from. But if you are a follower of Jesus... The tithe is given to us as the practice of financial peace. It's where we put shoe leather underneath the principle of ownership. Look at what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, the Bible says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Everything God does 
is tethered to trust. Everything God does is tethered to trust. And tithing trades trust with God. The tithe is a trade of trust. Because remember, everything is God's. He's entrusted to us some some amount, some resources somewhere. And once he's entrusted that to us, he's waiting to see if we will in turn trust him. Now when we say the word tithe, it's important that we understand what that is. The tithe means 10%. If Julie and I make $1,000 this year as a family, we're hoping and we're holding on. If we make $1,000, then $100 of that 1000 goes to God through the church. That, that's, that's the tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that my house may be full. It is there that obedience giving begins. It is, it's foundational. It's building block. It's not even faith 101. It's elementary school. It's just the beginnings and it's, it's in that beginning foundation of obedience tithing that God begins to expose us to the wealth of his blessings. And his blessings transcend financial gifts. It, it may include that. He promises to meet all of our needs. He promises to bless us so that we can then in turn be a blessing to others. The only way you can bless others is if there's a surplus. But he says, test me. He says, test me in this. You know what I I thought about as I was preparing for this message? I remember when I was a kid growing up in Houston, and and my mom would kind of issue an an ultimatum, and she'd draw a a line in the sand, you know, of obedience. And she said, Mac, if you are late coming home, if you're after 945 or whatever time it was when I was in high school, she'd say, if you're going to be late, there will be consequences. Try me. How many of your parents ever told you, try me? Anybody else? Apparently I was the only one. But I, it, was, it was a severe moment. But here, remember what we said about, about communion this morning? That all of God's commands are good? God says, test me. Watch, watch what happens. If you will trade trust with me, then I will bless you so much you won't be able to keep it all. There will be so many blessings in store for you. It's this trading of trust with God it's an amazing amazing thing that he calls us to he invites us into so so the tithe is just there for the taking it's it's a blessing that is just right there waiting to be had you know early on in the life of our church I was a, at the time a much younger man I was a young pastor and and I can remember every now and then mentioning tithing and I'd be like, well, there's a thing called the tithe in the Bible. It's awesome. Okay, cool. And Because I, I knew. I knew. People get tensed up. They get quiet like you are right now. Some of you right now are wishing we were talking about sex. But, but you, 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 people do. But then I remembered the promise of God. He says, test me and watch me bless you so much you won't be able to keep it all. I was like, Mac, you're an idiot. You're robbing people of the blessing of God if you're not teaching them the tithe. If they want to ignore it and rebel against God, that's their deal. But at least tell them, teach them. I think a lot of people don't tithe because they've never been taught. 
Because a lot of times churches, like I was early on, we're afraid that we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to. Hey, you're missing the blessing of God. That, that's your deal. That, that's now you all know. It's up to you. People say, well, Mac, I understand the tithe. It's 10%. That, that's, I get that. Now, here, here's my question for you. Should I tithe on the gross or on the net? And that's a, gr- that's a valid question. I get it. But I got a great answer for you. Do you want the net blessing or do you want the gross blessing? That, that's, your, that's the deal. Here's the deal, too. I thought about this. Julie and I pay taxes to the U.S. government every single year based on gross. So I'm not going to base the percentage of what I give to God on something less than what I base on what I give to the government. I'm going to... You, you have never heard of anyone who has outgiven God. You've never heard of somebody who tithed as an expression of faith and resented it. You've never heard of somebody who tithed and didn't experience the blessings of God so great that they couldn't keep it all. It just was spilling out of their arms. You've never heard of that person. You've heard a lot of people who have stayed away from it, A lot of people who said, well, that's kind of an Old Testament principle, and I am a New Testament believer in Jesus. Awesome. That's that's such bunk. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 23, he endorsed the tithe. Look it up. It's in the Bible. So I'm telling you, this is an opportunity waiting to happen. It's an opportunity waiting to happen. I'm not telling you, you will get rich. God will give you back a hundredfold. That's not biblical. Jesus says, though, that what we give will be returned to us, pressed down, shaken, stirred, and spilling over. It's the same thing that Malachi 3 says. I will give you so much blessing, you won't be able to contain it. You won't have room enough to store it. So then, guess what? You're going to have to be a blessing to somebody else. You're going to get to see other people experience the blessings God has given to you. You're going to see other people flourish and thrive. And this all goes back to a very simple thing. You see, the ownership principle, the ownership principle that we talked about before we talked about the practice of tithing, the ownership principle is a subset of a a larger and actually a more significant principle in the Christian life. And it is the principle of lordship. Ownership is a subset of lordship. And that is the authority of God. The the supremacy, the sovereignty, the power of God. Which takes us right back to where we started this series. Remember, we, we said at the very beginning that our peace depends upon our praise on our worship of God, of our acknowledging that he is God and we are not. See, our peace, our tranquility ebbs and flows in direct proportion to God's authority. More authority of God in my life, more tranquility in my life. More power of God, more peace. You see, most of us don't have an intellectual argument with God. We, we don't. We, we may say that we do from time to time. Skeptics, some believers also, like, well, I don't know about 
the whole thing, I, I've done the homework. I'm an engineer. I need it proved. I, or, and engineers are awesome. God bless them. We need them. But a lot of us do this. Like, well, you, you can't prove to me, God. Or what about the dinosaurs and evolution? Awesome. Let's have the conversation. And as Christians, it is incumbent upon us. We are responsible to God and to our neighbors to be able to have those kind of conversations intelligently and lovingly. But ultimately, our problem with God's not intellectual. Our problem with God, our, our, our problem with God is about power. It's about the fact that we're not willing to bow the knee. We won't humble ourselves and say, you're God and I'm not, and I will follow you. I will obey you because I trust you more than I trust myself. And to be a follower of Christ, yes, provides a peace that passes perception. But to be a follower of Christ requires surrender. It requires submission of every part of our lives. It requires that we acknowledge he is God and we're not in everything. But when we do, <laughs> when we do, then we experience that peace that passes understanding. Then we come into a, a, a deeper understanding and awareness of who he's created us to be and what we're here for. You see, when you surrender to Jesus, you surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of that surrender. You surrender to the only one who is powerful enough, who has the authority to bless you beyond anything that you could ask or imagine. And that's exactly what he promises to do. So, so the financial piece, man, we, we understand that's important. We, we could all use some more of that. Just about everybody in the room raised their hands. Others are wrestling with some honesty issues. But... The financial peace is, is really just a fraction of spiritual peace, of, of coming into a right relationship with Jesus and allowing him to transform our lives, to be more like him, to be more responsible with what he's entrusted to us, to be more generous with what he's entrusted to us. Because everything that God does is tethered to trust. It's trust. And, and it begins, it begins, and it does not happen without trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus more than you trust yourself. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I want to I want to ask you just to remove every distraction. Nobody moving around or slipping out early, but just remove every distraction and ask this question of the Holy Spirit. Just say, Lord, help me to see. Do I trust you? completely and Lord have I trusted you initially you see that second question 
is the most important question you'll ever address in your life. God's game, God's rules. And in his grace and in his goodness, he offered Jesus in our place. So that we could be forgiven and restored into the relationship that we were created for. If you're here today and you've never owned that, you've never taken hold of that promise, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of, yeah, surrender. Jesus has taken the first step. That's that's grace. But he invites you, he invites me to respond to that grace. If you've never taken that first step, then we invite you to do it right now, just right where you're sitting, to pray. Just silently talk to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I surrender my life to you. I will follow you from this moment forward. with our heads bowed for just a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a huge moment for us as a church family. And we would love, we would love to help in the next moment, in the days to follow, to help you grow in that relationship, to be a family of faith with you. And the best way to to let us know that we can do that and for us to rally around you at whatever speed you're willing, whatever works for you, is just to use that connect card that's in the program that you got when you came in this morning. Just fill that out and indicate that I committed my life to Christ this week. And before you leave, just tear that at the perforation that's there on the fold and hand it to one of our ushers. And then the other thing I want to ask you, if you would, as we remain in a, in a spirit of prayer in this holy moment, if that was your prayer and you entered into that relationship, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment. As you mark this moment in your life and in the life of this church. There's nothing more important to us than what God just did in your life. That's why we exist. So we honor that. We celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.